Once we hit eight hours, we have to stop. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. All right, good. I like it. I like it. So we have our limits. What up? Hey, this is Tyler with TarverAcademy.com, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Stephen Anderson. Is Anderson right? Nailed it. Now I got the first question right. Everybody on the quiz at home. <laughs> I got the first question right, Stephen Anderson. Web, web, it's Web 20 classroom, and I'm assuming you mean Web 2.0 classroom. Is that what you're going with? Correct. Okay. Yeah, it started out as uh, after the name of my blog many, many, many years ago. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. Well, sweet. Well, well. First off, I just like to um, hear about you. Tell, tell me, tell viewers now and the future viewers about yourself. Sure. So I've, I've been in education for, uh, for over 15 years. I started out as a middle school teacher. I taught middle grades, math and science. Um, I had the unique opportunity to, in, in middle school, to loop with my students. So I taught, I taught the same students for three, for, for three years, twice over. Um, which was a pretty incredible experience. Um, but as I was doing that, I discovered the power that technology could have in my classroom and uh, learned that you could actually go teach teachers how to do that. And so that's what I did. And so uh, I left the classroom after getting a master's in instructional technology and I'm doing technology professional development. Eventually worked my way to being a director of instructional technology and technology for a very large district uh, in North Carolina. Uh, and now I have the opportunity to work with lots more districts and lots more teachers and educators all over all over North America and really all over the globe with some of the work that I do in, uh, in the in the Middle East with the, the government of Qatar and uh, and some others. So so I've, I, I tell people all the time I, I'm very, very fortunate to do what I get to do every day working with teachers and working with kids. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. What made you want to be a teacher in the first place? So my dad is a teacher. He he's a he's a music teacher. He's a band director. Um, I've always thought that I was going to be some sort of teacher. Um, I thought I was going to. I went. I originally went to college to be a a, a band director like my dad. Didn't work out. Um, I did. I did march and play tuba all through college. Um, but said, you know, maybe being a band director is not for me. I'll go, I'll go teach kindergarten. That's gotta be better. So I went yeah. and changed my major to, uh, to elementary ed, spent one day in a kindergarten classroom and said, mm, kindergarten's not for me. So then I went and changed back to that changed to middle school. Uh, and that's really where I fell in love with, uh, with teaching and, and just having the opportunity to, uh, to work with kids and to, to see how knowledge grows and then see how learning grows is really something that's important to me. And so, um, and that's why I try to stay close to classrooms and try to stay close in, in the, even the work that I do now, where it may not be directly involved um, in the, in the lives of kids, but, but trying to impact that through the work that I do with teachers. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's uh, which one's harder to teach adults or middle school students? Adults. Definitely. All the time. All the time. <laughs> I would I'd go, I'd take a group of middle schoolers any day. Uh, adults are adults can be a challenge. All of us, all of us can be a challenge. You know, when we're learning, we all have our um, our unique traits. And you know, some of the work that I've done, especially with my business partner um, Tom Whitby, is we we look a lot at the way that adults learn. And so, you know, that we've got pedagogy, which is the way which is the way kids learn, and we got andragogy, which is the way adults learn. And the problem with a lot of PD is it's designed through pedagogy uh, and not in, in not in, in, in not giving adults what they need in order to learn. And so uh, that's where we see a lot of faults uh, with with how adults react to uh, to their own learning. And so challenge 
but it's a good challenge. It's a good yeah. challenge. I like working with adults a lot, um, helping them see the impacts that they can have on the classroom. Cause a lot of times they, you know, it's, it's easy to forget the, the impact that you can have in the life of a kid when you're in the classroom. And so, um, that's, that's definitely a lot of fun, but you know, middle schoolers, they're just, they're just a whole lot of fun. They, they like your jokes. They, they'll laugh at you and they'll, they'll, they'll cut into you, which is, which was a whole, which was a whole lot of fun. Oh yeah. They'll be, they'll be honest with you for sure. They'll be, uh, they'll straight up tell you if what you're wearing doesn't work or if something on your face, they'll tell you middle schoolers. Like, Adults, I love, my eighth graders, I loved my eighth graders and, and seeing them transition to, and, and being able to see my kids, especially because I looped, being able to see my kids grow from being a sixth grader to going into high school, that was, that was really, really quite incredible. But just seeing the transition from my eighth graders getting ready to go into high school was impactful and, and getting them ready to go on to that next transition. How did you like that, that looping? We had discussed doing that at one time in our middle school. What do you think? What do you think about it? You know, you know, sometimes the, there it, it can present problems, but I think overall, I would definitely do it in a heartbeat. Um, kids come in, you know, in 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 sixth grade, they spend that's that's a hard transition year coming from elementary school to middle school, and so trying to get some stability as quickly as possible is 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 the number one. When they come back to seventh grade, now we're dealing with changes, so we're dealing with a lot of changes in body and mind and. And so if they're coming into an environment that's already familiar, that they already know routine, they already know, they can already anticipate what's going to happen. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on, on working through that, that transition that those students have undertaken. We can go straight to the learning. They already know what we're doing. They already know all the things that we're, that we're asking of them. And, and for parents as well, they, they get to better know their teacher the types of expectations that, that are had in the classroom. So I would, I, you know, it may not be for everybody. It may, and, and certainly in our school, we had, we had one team that looped and the other ones um, didn't. And parents certainly had the option to, to pull their kid off and put them with another group of teachers. That was perfectly fine. So, you know, if it works for some kids, it, it doesn't work for others. Um, but I, for me as a teacher, I loved it. I, I love being able to come in day one. We could go, we could get started. We talked about our summers, but we were able to go off and, and get started on our learning. That's cool. You got to kind of, kind of uh, build that first like four to nine weeks of rapport building, and you got to already have it for a year. And you got to say you pick up where you left off. It's like watching season two and three of a show as opposed to starting a whole new show, wondering if you're going to like it. So that's pretty cool. Well, and and really too, you know, there's there's that time during the summer too. So we already know who are students between. Uh, between June and, and August. And so there's some opportunity there to do some things that, that some of us were able to do, especially with perhaps with remediation or, or kids coming in in the summertime. We already, we had those relationships already in place. And so it almost felt like year round, even though we weren't set up that way because we were able to do some of those things during the summertime because we knew who our, our kids were. There was never that mystery of, you know, what kinds of kids are we going to be getting the next year and, and what, uh, what sort of expectations do we have to set? So we could really Really, from 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 the August of their of their sixth grade year all the way through June of their eighth grade year, I mean, they they spent a lot of time with us, which was which was pretty impactful, I think. That's pretty awesome, man. I bet. Uh, do you ever keep like? I guess how many years ago was that when you did that with that group? Uh, that's probably been years by now. Oh, not, do you keep in touch with any of them? You know, I still I still live I still live where I used to teach, and and I still see kids on occasion, and um and they're you know they've gone off and done you know I've had kids go off and and go into Ivy League or I had kids go off and just go do great things in college, and they've come back and you know they're they're having 
fan, things like that, which makes me feel terribly old. But um, I guess, you know, that's the way of the world. But, you know, I, I would love to be able to see kind of I wish we had tracked it a little better um, to see kind of what what kinds of growth and, and what kinds of things we saw over time. I don't think we did a good job of that. And I think if we are going to loop, we do need to keep track of that data. But um, certainly, you know, I love running into the kids every once in a while and hearing their stories. That's awesome. So whenever you uh, you said whenever you're teaching middle school, you fell in love with the way you can use technology and education and how things can grow and, and how people can learn technology. What was your what was either your device or your program? What was the thing that you were like, oh, yeah, because I remember when I first started teaching my 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 uh, my principal was like, I'm going to get your Promethean board. I was like, I don't need that. That's a glorified smart or glorified dry erase board. I don't need that. Get it out of here. What was what was your and it wasn't until I got an iPad in the classroom, and started doing that, that I like really fell in love with being able to use those other types of learning methods. What was your, your thing, your device, the first thing that kicked it off for you? There were really two. The, the one of the first one of the first workshops I ever attended was 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 for something called Classroom Performance System, which was a, which was a set of blue clickers you could use in your classroom. Everybody got a clicker, and it was a way to do formative assessment. It was a two day workshop. I was so utterly bored. Presenter moving so slowly. Um, wasn't really teaching me, and wasn't really teaching our group of other math teachers that were in there. Wasn't really meeting our needs. Uh, so I went home and taught myself how to use it and then spent the second day teaching my group of teachers saying, I'm going to take them off. I already I've learned all this. I'm going to take this off. I'm going to go do this uh, with them. And so we talked a lot about how formative assessment could work in the math classroom. And that was one. Um, so that was really kind of the trigger for for PD. But it, in for technology, I, I found a media center. Nobody was using it. I was like, oh, what is this thing? And the media, the media coordinator um, said, oh, that's some kind of thing you can hook up to your computer and control your computer. You can control your computer from a board? That's awesome. I'd never heard of that. So I, I rolled it down to my classroom. I found the software, installed it myself, and, uh, and began using it. And, and nobody ever asked for it back. And so I had it and kept it for a long time until my principal saw day after day what the impact it was. And so she had one permanently mounted in my classroom. Um, and it was at that point then that really, that things really started to take off. And so, so yeah, there, there's a lot of debate around interactive, you know, front of classroom. I worked for a relationship evangelist for Promethean for a number of years. And yeah. so I know, I mean, I know the power that that front of classroom display can have, but yeah. it's not really the device. It was really the, 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 the engagement that the kids had there, the, the opportunities that I was able to take things off in another direction that I normally couldn't have had I not had the technology. Mm -hmm if it was a board or a projector or an iPad or what have you, it was the fact that we were able to kind of go with the moment uh, because we had the tool and the resource available. Oh, yeah. That's what, uh, you know, I always preach that. It doesn't matter uh, what devices you have, what 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 uh, schedule you're on. Doesn't matter, it doesn't even matter how much you see your students. It's all about how you interact the times you're in there with them and the kind of teacher you are. Like, that makes all the difference. The fact that you, you know, took control of that class and you owned that, and those kids were excited and engaged and they could probably tell you were excited and engaged and, and you guys are just learning together. I mean, that just creates an environment where everybody wants to learn. So that's cool. I love that. That's awesome. Well, and, and I, and I rolled out, I rolled out a BioD initiative in my district when I was, when I was instructional technology director. And so we changed the way that we did the PD around is we didn't start with the device. We started with pedagogy because ultimately that's, what's going to change. It doesn't matter what device that kid walks in the classroom. You know, we, we let the teachers talk about their fear and their anxiety towards every kid having device. And certainly we address that. And every teacher, no matter what we asked them said, I want to make sure that every, kid, you know, every kid, I, I want to know what they're doing on that device. I want to know 
that they're they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Well, if you design a lesson that's highly engaging, that they don't have the opportunity to, to want to wander, where they want to be involved in that learning process, then you never have to wonder. You never exactly. have to wonder what's going on behind the screen. And so that's why we start with pedagogy. That's why we start with the way that you teach, not, not what you're teaching. That's where the true engagement comes from when it comes to technology. Yeah, it is. That'll preach. That's what I say every time I lead a PD or I'm speaking to something, the first thing I say is, guys, get out your, your phone, your iPad, your, your laptop, your Chromebook, whatever you have, get it out. And if I'm not more engaging than Pinterest or what your friends from high school are saying on Facebook, get on there. I don't want to, I don't want your, I don't, I haven't deserve your attention. If I can't right. be up here talking about something that you care about, I don't, I don't want to, I want to see the top of your head. Like I want, I want you to be paying attention to me when I'm talking because you like what I'm saying. You want to learn what I'm telling you. And so that's on me. Like that's, that's the thing. It's on me as a presenter. Like those students, they didn't choose to come sit in your classroom. They have to by state law, unless it's, you know, college. But you know, when you're up there teaching, like it's your job to engage them. It's your job to make them want to learn either by building rapport where they want to disappoint you or making it so engaging that they want to be a part of it. Or they could just be that like top 10% that are going to do well. If you, roll a wheelbarrow full of banana peels in there. They're going to learn everything for that class. They don't care. They're going to learn. So that's cool. That's awesome. Okay. So I got a question for you. You got good teachers and you got great teachers. What do you feel are one or okay. two or a couple of few of the difference makers? What makes somebody the difference between a good teacher and a, and a great teacher? So I think every teacher is a good teacher because, you know, obviously, you know, there, there are, there are some, there, you know, in, in some situations, there are teachers who may, may not need to be in the classroom and certainly that can be addressed by leadership. But I think every teacher is good. What yeah. the, what, what the transition is, is really being reflective. So if you're reflective on your practice and you recognize that what we do every day as educators is just like what a doctor does, is just like what a lawyer does, where they don't, they don't go into to work every day knowing everything that needs to be known. That's why that's called, that's why doctor's offices are called a practice. That's why lawyer's offices are called a practice because you're practicing what you know. And in, the, in part of that practice, because opportunity to learn more and to be better than we were the day before the way that we do that is through our reflectivity and so there are lots of ways that we can be reflective and so if we want to go from good to great we have to consider how are we how are we impacting the lives of kids every day when i come into that classroom what am i doing to make sure that those kids are are learning as much as they can that i'm delivering content in a way that's meaningful to them uh, that i'm ensuring that they that they know what we set out to know that day how do i know that if I can be reflective in those ways, if I can ask those, if I can ask those questions at the end of the day and be able to answer them, then I'm on the right track. Being able to look at myself and look at my data, which is important, you know, the data gets a bad rap. And certainly there are, there are bad ways of gathering data. I would be the first person to tell you my, my, I have a second grader and she, you know, in North Carolina, they don't start taking end of grade testing until next year, but her school has already started prepping her to start taking these tests and she's like I don't want to and I you know I said you know that test doesn't define who you are and so having having teachers who understand that not that one thing defines who those kids are and finding ways to figure out how to how to get those kids to recognize their greatness you know being that reflective educator is so hugely important that that's what really is going to move you from good to great because you're going to see 
all the things that are really, really working well in your classroom and all the things that are working really, really well with you as an educator, but you're also going to see the areas for, for improvement and opportunities for growth. And that's really where that transition happens when you recognize, hey, there are things I could do better. Here's how I can go do better. And then knowing where to go to get the help. So plugging into social media, plugging into online learning resources for educators, which there are, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of resources for. It's that being reflective, which is really going to move you from, from one side to the other. You said social media. I know you're super involved in social media and using it in education. I love it. I'm a big proponent of it. I tell teachers because so many people are afraid of it. You know, well, one, because either, either they're older or they're young and they've been warned by everybody. Don't, don't ever get on the internet, you know, make everything private. Don't be, you know, and I just think that, like, as long as you're not hiding, like, nuclear launch codes or something that people shouldn't see, like, if you're doing cool stuff, show it. Like, show, you know, people want your personality. Students like personality, just like adults like personality. Um, so what, what's, what's, give me some, some stuff you like about education, social media relations. Like, what, what do you like students do? What do you like teachers do? Anything. So I, I wrote a, I wrote a book called the, called the, the, the relevant educator. And in part of, in part of that book, Tom, Tom Whitby and I, who, who both of us found, co-founded the hashtag EdChat, you know, what we talk about in there is the need for educators to utilize social networks in order to look beyond themselves and their learning. So, you know, it, it's, it's very easy to say that social media is something that's terrible, it's bad, you know, it's, it's easy to point out all these examples of, of, of terrible uses of social media. I mean, just look at, look at our current election. You know, there are bad examples of social media use all the way around us, but then there are, those are also opportunities for learning too. Uh, but from an educator standpoint, I totally agree that for so long that it seemed that social media and Twitter seemed to be taught as the same thing and they're not the same thing. I am a big proponent of using Twitter for professional development. I created a help create a hashtag around that. I think that's important. Is Twitter the only social media option for teachers to use and learn and engage? No, of course not. There are other, there, there are other maybe better places for educators to engage in that way. The same thing for kids. When we say social media, we can't define it as one particular tool. Um, I just actually, and I actually from a student perspective, I just wrote a post about the use of social media tools. What I call, I call them non-traditional tools. I still see them as non-traditional. Things like Snapchat, things like Instagram, Facebook. Um, I still even see Facebook as a non-traditional source of learning in the classroom because rarely do we see it being used in the way that it could be used to engage kids. We, we often apply our own adult mindset and frame to how those tools are used. We assume kids are doing one thing on them. It may be using them for something malicious or may not be using them in the way that we use them. But as adults, we need to recognize the inherent educational value of using something like a Snapchat to tell stories or Instagram just to shoot, to shoot short video or Facebook to, to share those stories. There's a lot of ways that social media can engage not only educators for their learning, but kids as well. And we, we as adults and as educators need to recognize that it has a place in the learning process, not only for kids, but for us as, as engaged learners and adults as well. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like it. Okay. So, uh, I'm say I'm the, uh, commissioner. Do y'all have a commissioner of education, in North Carolina? Okay. Let's say yeah, he, the state superintendent. Yeah. Okay. State <laughs> superintendent. So I'm the state superintendent, of North Carolina. Hey, how's it going? I'm state superintendent, North Carolina. Um, guess what? We love what you're doing. Uh, I'm going to give you your own school. You get to pick anything you want, any waivers. It can look like whatever you want. It can have whatever grades you want. 
What are your first thoughts? What, what do you do? Give me three things about your new school that I can know so I can take it to our board. Fortunately, I have a friend who actually did that. So she went and started, she went and started a school um, and I would do exactly what she did. So, um, you know, she, the, the and, and my ideal situation for a school would be to, to, to bring kids in and to spend more time than we do understanding who that, who that kid is as a learner and helping that student understand who they are as a learner, because not every kid learns the same. I mean, I can look at my two daughters, my, my, my oldest is seven, my youngest is three, and both of them are learning things much, much differently from each other. It's not just because of their age, but because of just who they are as people. And so helping as, as adults, helping us understand how to, how kids learn, but not, not only that, but helping the, the kid learn how they learn. Yeah. Then they can use that to harness their, their own and drive their own learning. So that would be the second thing. So creating an environment where students get to decide the path that they want to take and the learning that they want to undertake. Sure, we have standards. There's nothing wrong with having standards. And there are things that we would want students to know by the end of the year or throughout, an, throughout a process. But I want students to be able to have the wherewithal to design their own learning process. Because now if they know how they learn, now they can figure out the best way to go about a problem that they want to solve. And then the third thing I would do is wrap it around something real world. So like I'm a big fan of problem-based and, and, uh, and, and project-based learning and, and looking at, at kids being problem solvers. And I, I think there's a lot about technology and a lot of the ways that technology is being used because it's, uh, it's cool or it's, you know, it looks fun or, you know, things like 3D printers. 3D printers are awesome, but I really see kids not really doing anything pretty incredible with them when there's an opportunity to do something incredible with them. Yeah. So having, having there be a problem to solve that path and the way that they have they they can decide that path is because they know who they are as a learner i mean those would be the three things the three biggest things that i would want to see and then, you know i went and visited the school that my friend started and i as i walked around there's no reason why every school in the country couldn't do what she's doing she's she had to start it as a private school but there's no reason why every school couldn't do it her kids have standards they come in every day that they have goals and objectives that they have to meet but the, those teachers know who those kids are they know they know how those kids learn those kids know how they themselves learn and they drive their own learning paths and those they're outperforming every other kid around them in public school and there's no reason why it couldn't be done in a public school that's awesome that's awesome so it is how many years has that school been at around and I think they're in their seventh year now. Oh, nice. Uh, they, they're, yeah, they're K-8. They don't do grades. Everything's, everything's lumped together by age. All the, the kids, the kids learn together. The kids who have similar learning traits are grouped together. And then the teachers are trained in that particular, those particular learning traits. I mean, it just, it, all this stuff that when I was walking around with her, it, it totally makes sense that there, why, why couldn't you organize kids instead of by age, how they learn, and then having that teacher be a, be a master at, okay, these kids learn in this particular way. I, I know how to teach kids in that way. So those are the kids that I need to, it just, to me, it makes sense. And there's no reason why we couldn't do it in public schools. It's, it's the resistance to change that's really holding us back. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've seen that in, uh, in some teachers. You know, it's like you take, you got two paths, you got easy, and then you've got what can be great. And, you know, some people, like, even if they're pushed into this lane, they'll kind of like fall off because they don't want to put in that extra effort because they're aggravated they had to do something different. So, you know, that's life. You know, some people, <laughs> some people, you know, take it and run with it and make amazing things even better. And some people are other people. <laughs> So that's awesome. So, okay. Last question I got. Um, okay. We're in 2016 right now. 
let's say 2050 or 2000, let's say, let's do 50 years from now, 2066. Um, what does, what does education look like? What do schools look like? So I, it's actually interesting. I actually wrote a, a paper in college about what I thought the future of education would look like. This was way back, back, you know, very early 2000, but um, I, it's, it's, see kind of where we go with the evolution that technology is having on learning where we have now access to all known knowledge. You know, there's no, there's nothing I can't figure out. There's nothing I, I can't ask a question that I can't go find the answer to. Right. And I carry it around in my pocket. I sit on, it's like we were talking before we came live. I sit on airplanes all the time. And so, you know, I, I can spend a lot of time looking at things that, you know, I wonder how that works. I wonder why they do that. They were, even today I was, I had to, I wanted to know why do airlines still use dot matrix printers because, you know, to hand out flight itineraries. Like I find that, I, I find that so crazy. But there's a reason for it. I mean, the, the, the technology works and they, it needs to do something specific. So, you know, now I know the answer. I didn't have to go to a class to learn that. I didn't have to go take an avionics class to learn that. The same thing happens with much of the learning that happens in, in classrooms today is that it's pretty much irrelevant because kids can can go out and figure it out on their own. What I would like to see is schools redesign in a way that like like what we were just talking about, allowing kids to kind of figure out their path, what they're passionate about, and letting that be their guide. Now, it's easy to say, well, let's let just kids figure out what they're passionate about. Well, when I was when I was young, I was not passionate about being an educator. I wanted to go off and, and be a musician and things like that. It's maybe not about pigeonholing them into one career, but allowing them to discover who they are as a person and who they are as a learner and allowing them to figure out their, their path in life or their place in life. And that's really where I would like to see schools go is that they, they need to be not just places of learning and rote memorization and facts and figures. They need to be places where, where creativity and, and innovation and, uh, and inspiration are harbored. We could easily make that transition now, but it's like, like we said, there's, there's that, that total resistance to change because change is uncomfortable and change should be uncomfortable. And the things that we do, we should go in the classroom and be uncomfortable every day because we know that we're doing what's right for kids and we know that we're doing the best thing for kids. So in 50 years, you know, perhaps it's, it's classrooms that are redesigned. Perhaps, it's, you know, buildings themselves don't exist in the way that they do, that, that they do today. Perhaps the school building is something that's completely different. I don't think we'll see kids going completely online. I don't see the benefit in that. There's still the need for face-to-face -face and social interaction. I tell that to adults today. You can't totally learn um, through um, through uh, without face-to-face -face conversation. And so I think there will be a need for that. It'll just exist in a different form. But I hope that we move away from this rote memorization into something more create, creativity-based. Oh, yeah. I'm all for that. That would be, be fun because, I mean, that's how you remember. I, I can't remember anything i remember i like spanish spanish one and two i took those for two years i can tell you ventana is window and that's it like that's all i did in spanish was memorize every day right so. well there's no context around it right like they tried to create context but there's no that's and that's why that's why you know things like duolingo and, and those services work so well because there's context that's we don't teach in context anymore no that's true dude thank you so much for coming on um you're incredible you're you know, I love talking to people who are passionate about education and teaching and, and connecting with others. And, uh, and you're the embodiment of that. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, tell anybody who's watching, um, if they stuck around this long or they're popping into the end, that means right. they want to see how they can find you, um, things you've made, you've written books, 
you've, uh, you have a, 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 you know, education thread that you toss out on Twitter. Like tell us whatever you want people to know about you or where to find you or what you've done. Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter at web 20 classroom. You can check out my, my website, my blog, what I'm thinking, doing and saying, um, uh, www.web20classroom.org. Um, I have three books, the relevant educator, which I wrote with my friend, Tom Whitby, the Ed chat co-founder. Uh, I have another one called content curation. Um, both of those are available from Corwin. And then I have another book called the tech savvy administrator, which is available from ASCD. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing the follow-up to that book about what to look for in the technology using classroom. Um, uh, so that'll be coming out next year. And, uh, so yes, just check it out and, and, uh, I'll see you on the uh, social media. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for paying attention and tuning in. This is education in education. And I'm Tyler with Tarver Academy. Peace.